My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. Christ is in our midst. This morning's sermon is entitled, Life Preserving Love. Life Preserving Love. Something stood out to me this week when I was reading from the chapter, uh, 45th chapter of the book of Genesis, particularly verse 5, where Joseph says to his brothers, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me here before you to preserve life. To preserve life. When we read the book of Genesis, the story of Joseph is the major story that brings the book of Genesis to a close and it sets up the events that we see continuing on in the book of Exodus. But for those of you who don't know the story of Joseph, I'll give you a brief summary. So Joseph was one of the sons of Jacob, also known as Israel, after God changed his name when he wrestled with the angel by the river. And Joseph was the beloved son of Jacob and and this led to special treatment, unfortunately. His brothers did not like the fact that their father clearly preferred Joseph over his other sons. And you know, sometimes when we read that, we think, well, that's not really fair on them. But when you kind of dig back into their stories and you read the shenanigans they, they got up to, you're like, you know what? Maybe Jacob was right in, <laughs> in favoring Joseph over his brothers because some of his brothers were really not nice guys. And we actually get an interlude in the Joseph story. It just stops. And then we get a story about Judah and then it picks back up again in the Joseph story. The brothers weren't really great guys. So maybe we shouldn't give Jacob too hard of a time about favoring Joseph. But out of jealousy, they decide to take care of Joseph, right? Because in the story, he has the dreams and then he knows the interpretation of the dreams. And so he tells his family and they know exactly what the dreams mean too. And he explains it to them and that makes them angry. So they take him and they throw him in a pit and they sell him into slavery. And his slave masters take him to Egypt and he's purchased by one of the Egyptian nobility, a man named Potiphar. And he eventually makes Joseph the head of his household, a very high position, a position of influence. But as the story goes, Potiphar's wife develops an eye for Joseph and attempts to seduce him. He refuses her advances and in anger she accuses him of attempting to assault her. And as a result of this false accusation, Joseph goes to prison and languishes for many years there. And then eventually he comes to help the jailkeeper run the entire jail. And while he's there, two of Pharaoh's officials, they're also put in jail and they both have dreams. And Joseph is able to interpret both of their dreams and his interpretations come true. And then Pharaoh himself has a dream that no one can predict. And then Pharaoh is told about Joseph by one of those officials. And Joseph is given the understanding by God to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And as a result is made essentially prime minister of all of Egypt. And the dream was warning them of famine that was to come. 
And so famine hits the land very hard. And through Joseph's leadership, right, Egypt, Egypt has prepared. They have lots of grain stored away. And, and this sets up a series of events which culminates in Joseph revealing himself to his brothers. And that's where this morning's reading from Genesis has us. At the moment of his revealing to his brothers, Joseph understands he has a moment of divinely given clarity at this moment, right? It's, it's almost as if all of the pieces of his life have, have snapped together to form the full picture that was as yet unable to be seen. And he tells them something remarkable. He tells them God sent him to Egypt through them to preserve life. That means that all of the wickedness that happened to Joseph, all of the sinful actions done to him by his brothers, the false accusation of assault, his languishing in prison, his being forgotten by the very people that he served, all of that, all of those experiences were used by God to preserve life. And it's interesting too, when you read the story of Joseph, he's overcome with emotion when, when he encounters his brothers because even though they did something very terrible to him, that act of wickedness doesn't necessarily negate the feeling of love that he had for them and for his family that he hadn't seen in a very long time. And it's very weird, weird, right, how the human heart works that works out sometimes. That, that even in the midst of, of betrayal and pain by people whom we love, it doesn't necessarily destroy the affection that we may, we may feel for them. That's not an excuse for it. But Joseph... Through his actions, he's not just preserving the life of all of the Egyptians, but he's also preserving the life of the surrounding nations that will come to Egypt for grain. And not only that, he'll be preserving the life of the family that hated him. Because what happens after this is Joseph's family is then brought to Egypt. And Joseph, after he reunites with his father, he settles them in the land of Goshen. He provides for them a place of plenty. It's a place where they are provided for and where they can live in peace. And he tells them, don't be distressed about what you had done to me. I think it indicates that he no longer had, that, that what they did no longer has a hold on him emotionally and spiritually because he's able to finally put into perspective everything that he suffered and how God used that for a greater purpose. And when we look at the, the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 6 verse 32, he says, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And the words of Jesus here reflect something important about the relationship between the preservation of life and divine love given by the Father. See, Jesus came to a world that the prophet Isaiah said, or should I say prophesied, that he's going to be sent to people that are not going to listen and would not receive him or what he has to say. And we see this in action throughout the entire life of Jesus. Jesus walks around ministering and healing and teaching for years. And to be sure, there are those who heard his message and those who saw him through the eyes of faith who turned and followed him. But the majority don't, particularly the religious leaders. In fact, they wind up being his greatest adversaries. 
They become unable to see the love that he is showing through his ministry and his mission because they're unable to see that love. All that they can see is their own hatred driving them to work towards his destruction. Yet in spite of all this, Jesus continues his work among them because Jesus doesn't just love those who love him. Jesus loves those who do not love him. In point of fact, all of humanity, captive to sin and to death, do not love Jesus. We are opposed to Jesus. We hate Jesus. We don't understand Jesus. And we often try to co-opt the person of Jesus. And we try to separate the ethics of Jesus from the person of Jesus. As if we can sort of follow some quasi-Christ-like ethic without falling down to our knees and acknowledging him as Savior and Lord. You can't divide Christ like that. Jesus says in verse 36, Be merciful as your Father in heaven is merciful. In fact, we know we cannot even love without God's own act of initiating love. As it says in 1 John 4.19, We love because he first loved us. Jesus loves those who do not love him. And his act of love culminates in the crucifixion and his giving up of himself to atone for the sins of all humanity. Jesus is concerned with the preservation of life. The preservation of life. Like we saw in the Joseph story. God sent me to preserve life. But he's not just limiting life to a certain group of people. It's his wish that all life would be preserved. That all life would share in his own life for all of eternity. Therefore the offer of eternal life is extended to all who will have faith in him. All who will be faithful to him. All those who will trust him and love him. And just as Joseph oversees the distribution of food to the surrounding nations and calls them to come and buy grain. So Jesus oversees the distribution of the food of his body and blood to those who will repent and believe. Jesus provides nourishment to all who will come to hear and believe. And those who respond in faith and in love will be preserved. Those who respond in faith and love will be brought to a good land of plenty. Those who respond in faith and love will be preserved from what is to be poured out on an unbelieving world at the return of our Lord. And this just give us a lot of hope, brothers and sisters, because... We can have security knowing that Christ loves us. It's interesting, in the reading from the Joseph story, it says that when they were brought into his presence, right, when his brothers were called into his presence, do you remember what it says? It says they were terrified. Because when they are brought into the presence, of, from all intents and purposes for them, the high-ranking Egyptian official whose word has the power of life and death, they're scared. They don't know what's going to happen. They have no idea why they're even being asked to come into his presence in the first place, right? Well, I think actually this is later on in the story with the, the hiding of the cups and all that stuff, so it makes sense why they would be scared. But they come into his presence frightened and scared, thinking, this is it. And what does Joseph say to them? 
He essentially says, don't be, he says, don't be distressed. Essentially, do not fear. Do not be afraid. God sent me here through you to preserve life. And I think we can learn a couple of things from this. One of which being the suffering that we undergo in our own lives. We don't always... I, sometimes we'll never have a frame for it. We'll never understand why it happened. We'll never be able to explain away terrible things. But what we are given is that in the middle of that, that God is with us. That we can identify with Christ because Christ, like us, suffered too. And because of that, that should give us hope in our own times of suffering. But what it also does is, when we are brought into God's presence, what does God say to us? Because when we come into God's presence, when we, you know, we, we can be become very mindful very quickly of who we are. We become reminded very quickly that even though God has redeemed us from sin, that we still are under its power when we yield to it. We, 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 it comes to our mind very quickly how unworthy we are. And we come before the judge of all the universe. Right? And we will ultimately stand before Christ at his return, every single one of us. And we will be judged. But at that moment, and the foretaste of it that we get here now, when we stand in the presence of God, what does God speak to us? Does he speak to us a word of anger? No, he speaks to us a word of comfort. He says, do not be distressed. Do not be afraid. Because Jesus came into the world, he said. I didn't come to condemn the world, but I came to save it. And those of us who have been baptized into Christ, who have, been, who have put on Christ, who have been regenerated by the Spirit given to us, when we stand in his presence at the day of judgment, we can say, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid because he has saved us. He was sent to save us. He was sent to redeem us. So brothers and sisters, when we mess up, and we will, nobody here is perfect. Raise your hand if you think you're perfect. I'll pray for you. And cast out the spirit of lying. When we mess up, when we fall short, let us not become distressed or angry with ourselves or what we have done. And that's important, right? When we mess up, when we sin, when we do something wrong, we have a couple of options. We, the one option is to immediately fall on our knees and repent in terms of the Lord. The other option is to say, oh no, well, I might as well just keep going because I've already messed up, I've already sinned, I might as well just keep going in this direction. What does it matter? It's interesting, I can't remember, I wish I could remember the quote, but St. John Chrysostom notes that, that when we sin, 
right? Shame shouldn't draw us to increase in sin. He says it should actually drive us to repentance. And I'm terribly misquoting him there. But when we sin, when we fall short, let us not become distressed or angry with ourselves. Let us turn to the Lord in repentance, trusting in his mercy, trusting in his goodness, which is able to restore even the worst of all the sinners of whom each and every one of us is the first. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you have a few minutes, I'd ask you to go to gofundme.com slash Zion's Stone Church Repair Fund. We have some significant repair work that we need to do on our bell tower, as well as some repair work due to a recent lightning strike. Anything you'd be able to help us out with, we would greatly appreciate it. If you'd like to get a hold of me or you have any questions about what you've heard, feel free to reach out at our Facebook page, Zion's Stone UCC, or you can check us out on our website, zionstoneucc.com. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.